Hello, everybody, and welcome to Water or Wine Time with Megan Weaver, love, life, and entertainment. I have E. Patrick Johnson here with me today talking about his one-man show. He is a writer, performer, and professor of performance studies in African-American studies at Northwestern University. He is a powerful, powerful one-man show that he's working on right now here at the Stella Adler Theater in Hollywood, California. He's also done another one-man show, Strange Fruit, and is working on the female version of Sweet Tea production called Honey Pot, Black Southern Women Who Love Women. Mm -hmm. Yes, beautiful, beautiful story. So when did you decide to work on this project and say, this is the story that I want to write and this is the story that I want to tell? It's really, it's been 20 years ago. It's hard to believe. Um, I was in Washington, D.C. visiting a friend who took me to a function um, sponsored by a group called Us Helping Us, People Into Living Incorporated, which is a black gay AIDS organization that is um, that was founded by um, an, um, I'm on his name, oh my goodness, he would kill me. Uh, so he's not listening, <laughs> he's like, you don't know it'll, my name. It'll, it'll come to me. Um, and it, Ron Simmons, Ron okay. Simmons, um, and um, it was a cookout, so it was sort of informal, and there were a group of older black gay men sitting at a table not too far from me, and um, they were telling all these stories about growing up in the South and the gay community there, and I was like a little kid mm. uh, at their feet listening to these stories because I'd never heard them before, and I thought at that moment, you know, these stories aren't recorded. No one has um, written this history down. And so in that moment, I decided that when I got the time and uh, energy and resources that I was going to go back to the South and collect these stories. And originally, um, I was going to include the stories of women in Sweet Tea. But like most things, the gay men took it over. They just took the book over. See, y'all just taking over. <laughs> like, no, no, this is our story. We yes. hear our stuff. But in hindsight, I, I'm, I'm happy that there'll be two separate books because mm-hmm. the women's stories, I've interviewed 81 women now. Mm-hmm. Their stories are very different, and so they deserve their own book. I like um, that. I, I, honestly, I think it's better to have it separate because yeah. it's a different experience. Yes. It's a different struggle. Yes. And it's just a completely different story. Yeah. So how did you, you know, you have these different men that you interview. Mm-hmm. How did you pick? How do you narrow <laughs> it down to say, these are the people that I'm going to have to be a part of this one-man show, to be a part of this book, the story mm-hmm. that you want to tell? Well, for Sweet Tea, I interviewed 77 men. 63 of them made the book. And that, that selection process was more about um, stories that really... They might be about the same theme, but had a different spin on it, like, you know, different kinds of coming out stories, different kinds of stories about growing up in the South, different kinds of stories about sex, uh, different kinds of stories about one's journey with their spirituality. That was a really big theme. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the show, I tried to choose stories and men whose personalities would translate to the stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of them are, have very big personalities, as you saw last night. Exactly. Um, but they're also very complicated. You know, none of them are um, simple. Uh, mm. And so I tried to choose 
uh, again, men whose personalities are big personalities, uh, whose stories are interesting, and those um, men who I felt um, could have something compelling to say uh, mm -hmm. on the stage in that, in that context. Now, did you ever at some point while writing this and doing this project say, this is too much for me? Because no. it was connected, like this is still, some yeah. of these stories are connected to you. Like yeah. this is aspect yeah. of your story. Yeah, yeah. No, not at the time. I was just so invested in getting the stories uh, down uh, and then getting them um, uh, on the stage. Um, it's funny, you know, now that I'm doing um, Honey Pot, I am feeling like really overwhelmed because I have like 3,000 pages of transcript which is the same amount that I had for sweet tea, but now it just feels like, oh my God, there's a lot. How am I going to narrow this down? Mm -hmm. But um, no, I never felt um, overwhelmed. And I think it was because I knew that this was going to be something that really changed. It was, it was going to be a game changer because it was going to be the first book about the black gay experience in the South. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew I was working on something important and that just kept me motivated. Now what do you want people to feel after watching your show? Uh, what is the impact you want to leave? Yeah. Well you know one of the things I, I hope that people come away from the show um, having some myths debunked about uh, what it means to be black and gay in the South but more than that I want people to come away feeling like these while these these stories are specific to these men that they are also universal stories as well. All of us have had, you know, uh, mama drama. You know, all of us have had that, that struggle with uh, feeling like we were less than or, or trying to achieve something. Many of us have had struggles with our spirituality, whether, whether we were gay or not. So through the specificity, I'm hoping that people will see the universality. Mm. Now for the woman show... Or is that going to be you performing? <laughs> we, do we have the wig? Do we have dresses? No. Or are you going to be directing this? How is that going to happen? Yeah. I'm still up in the air about it. I, well, I'm not going to be performing the stories the way I perform the men's stories. Okay. Um, whether I'm going to be in the show, that's a different question that I haven't really decided on yet. But I see it as an ensemble piece. So maybe three to five women. I'm not a good director. Uh, so I stay in my lane, you know, mm -hmm. I have someone directing me, mm -hmm. so it'll be, a, it'll be a different director. Mm. Yeah, but I'm, I'm excited about first just getting the book done. Just getting that done first. Yes. And then moving on one step at a time, yes. right? It's like, let me yes. just plan out all everything yes. at once, and exactly. it's overwhelming. Exactly. Now, how much time did you spend with each one of the men to do this piece? Because you have to do a lot of research, and to play someone, you have to embody them and mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. their personality. Yeah. How much do you think you spent with each person? Um, it varied. Um, some of the men that I interviewed, it was a one-time uh, meeting, you mm -hmm. know, uh, between um, two to three hours. With some, there were follow-up, you know, meetings, follow-up interviews. But the other thing is, you know, as I uh, was saying to you and the audience last night, I still have relationships with these men. Mm -hmm. So uh, by the time I started performing some of them, I had spent a lot of time uh, around them. So I picked up on some of the mannerisms and some of the, the verbal tics and, and things like that. But I also listen 
um, to the actual interview that I conducted with them over and over again mm -hmm. so that I can um, try to be as true to their voice as possible. Now, was the interview recorded? Yes. I mean, was it like video recorded? No, no. Okay, so just no, the audio. Just so you audio. couldn't watch and no. say, all right, why? Well, no, he does this little thing with <laughs> no. his shoulders every now and then. <laughs> no, I only had the, the audio. Got to it. Come now, I've read this, but I want you to tell the listeners and mm. the viewers here the title of Sweet Tea. Mm -hmm. Why is it called Sweet Tea? So sweet tea, um, as you may know, is a staple drink of the South, mm -hmm. or what I call diabetes in a glass. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> if you make it the right way. Right, if you make it the right way. My mom, we're from Maryland, but yeah, yes. that's, she makes it like that. Yes, so. yes. Um, but also tea is in, the, in gay vernacular means gossip. Mm -hmm. You know, spill the tea, pour the tea. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the title comes from. You know, it's about black gay men from the South. And it's about tea. It's about the gossip. There's, there's well, still someone said, "Amen." <laughs> <laughs> They're probably looking like, "Where is the tea?" <laughs> yeah. So um, that's where I, I got it from. And also, you know, there's all kinds of riffs on tea. Like um, the tea dance is a uh, on usually on Sunday afternoons and uh, gay clubs, gay bars. There's a a, a dance on Sunday. Mm -hmm. uh, there's tea room trade. Oh, that's uh, <laughs> like, now what is this tea room trade? I don't know about this. Well, tea room trade is, you know, well, a tea room can be any place where you have um, sort of clandestine sex. That could be a, a um, something on the side of the road. It could be, you know, in, in a bathroom somewhere. But yeah, tea room trade. Oh, There's a whole right. book about it. That's a whole new, <laughs> that's a whole new production there. That's whole, it is. That's a whole new show in One itself. that I will not be doing. Yeah, <laughs> I will not be doing that one. Not that one. Not that one at all. Now, do you feel, uh, how do you feel comfortable in your sexuality? Or what, no, I'm sorry, what age did you feel comfortable in your own oh, sexuality? You know, I sort of evolved uh, because when I was a kid, you know, I, I, I knew that something was different, but I couldn't name it. And, you know, I knew I had this attraction to boys. But again, I didn't even name it as attraction. I just knew I liked being around, you know, other little boys. But, you know, when I hit puberty, I really did go through the, you know, the, the crushes on little girls and, and that kind of thing. And had a girlfriend uh, in college, actually, a, a living girlfriend. But... It was in college when I really knew that uh, something was going on. Yeah, here. I'm not really feeling her. Right, <laughs> I'm feeling him. right, exactly. And so I guess it wasn't until really a graduate school that I really um, came out to myself in any kind of real way, and that was a really interesting process for me because, um, like many people who struggle with their sexuality. It was about a fear of rejection, um, not knowing how people would respond, especially close friends. Um, most of whom, though, when I came out to them, said, Anne, I knew that long ago. I knew that before you knew it. I have friends that are like that, too. <laughs> I'm just waiting for you to tell me. Right, right. Like, I'm waiting for you to be okay with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was sort of my own personal journey. Then with my family, it was yet a different, another layer, you know, as I... As I talk about in the show, you know, with my mother, um, that was an, uh, a process that happened over many years. My brothers, I'm the youngest of seven, and uh, it's six boys and one girl, and, you know, my, my brothers are pretty macho, and so that was interesting watching them um, go through their own 
process about accepting uh, mm -hmm. my sexuality. But you know, I let them go on and do it while I lived my life. Mm -hmm. And when they got their mind right, they came around. That's, that's all you can do. Yeah. At the end of the day, you want to feel comfortable with who you are. Yes. And with everyone else, however they feel, you know, that's, that's it's their, on own, them. It's yeah. their own issues. Yeah. Now, I know you mentioned the show as well, that you have a partner. I do. Yes. He's on his way out here now. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Now, that was actually a question. How often does he visit while you're on tour? Because if you're on the road, you know, if, if he stays at home, you're not able to see him. Right. But how often does he come on tour with you? Well, he's, he's every time I've done the play, um, he has come. In fact, he... Um, my partner is in the news business, and he also owns his own video production company. So he's videotaped many versions of the mm. film, I mean, of the of the um, play, of the show. And so he's been, he's visited me everywhere I've done the play. Mm. But the stage reading, which I, you know, tour to college campuses, he doesn't come with me on those. Okay. Yeah, yeah. he's like, okay, I'll let you do that. One. Right. And then, yeah, so what was his thoughts when he first saw the show <laughs> for the first time? Well, there's been different versions of the mm -hmm. show. Yeah, I know you have the stage reading. You have the stage reading, but there's also been different versions of the play. Okay. So there was, uh, when the show premiered in Chicago in 2010, that was one version with a, with a di director. Then it went to Austin, Texas later that year with another director. Then it went to um, Signature Theater in uh, Arlington, Virginia. That was another director. And then it went to Durham, North Carolina last year, and that was the current director that I have that directed this version that's at Town Street. It wasn't until the Signature Theater uh, version in Arlington, Virginia, that he was implicated uh, in, the, in the show. And we'll let people come see the show, come see the show, yes. um, for what I'm talking about. And because that was the first time that my story was really interwoven mm -hmm. uh, with the other men. And he was a little taken aback. Um, not because, you know, it was what I say about him is wasn't true, but he didn't want people who were watching it to think certain things about him. Mm -hmm. uh, so he sort of felt kind of self-conscious about that, especially sitting in the audience, watching them watch me talk about him. Mm. Um, but he has been nothing but supportive of me. Um, you know, we've been together for 17 years. Wow. And so we, um, we work very well together. You know, he's, he's very protective of me. Um, and he's, you know, always looking out for me, but just very, very supportive. So um, I would never do anything that would intentionally, you know, harm him or, or, or mm. make him feel, you know, some kind of way. Mm. Um, but that first time he heard that story, it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Mm. Have you thought about making it more of your journey or adding mm. more of your stories and your life in it or doing something, maybe a separate entity with mm -hmm. that? Well, you know, Strange Fruit, my the first show that I uh, toured was all about my life. Got it. And so for this piece, it actually is more about um, showcasing um, these men and their stories um, and also my relationship to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we did have a question. So the show runs until Sunday. It's at until Stella, Sunday. Stella Adler Theater yeah. on Hollywood Boulevard. And tonight, today's Friday, right? Is it Today's Thursday. Thursday. So there's a show tonight, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday matinee at 4. Got it. So tonight and those nights, except for Sunday, 7.30. Yes. And tickets can be purchased on townstreetla.org. 
And at the door. And at the door. Yeah. So you got two ways to buy tickets. Go check out this show. One man show. And yeah, Strange Fruit. You said that was more of your personal. Yes. Your yes. personal stories in you. Yes. Now, did he see that as well? Oh, oh yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. So that was during yes. his, uh, since you guys have been together. And what were his thoughts on that one? Were there stories involving him? No, because uh, that was when we first met. Mm-hmm. Um but he was a little shocked because in Strange Fruit, I'm in drag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and He's so, like, oh, okay. Yeah, so, you know, that's the, fr- I start the show in drag. And so um, we had just started dating. So he was like, okay, this is interesting. You know, this man I'm dating is in drag. Um, but again, he, he um, is in that show in the sense that he, he does some of the voiceover work mm. for me. Uh, in it, so again, he's just been a partner um, and a a part, a life partner, and also a, a, a partner in all of my career. You know, my academic and and um, performance work. Mm-hmm. Um, he helps me in any way that he can. And is that something you said you were did drag in the show? Is this something that you do personally too? I'm like, if you go out and drag, so that wasn't. He didn't know that yet. No, he didn't. He didn't know, and uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't do drag a lot, but I do have a drag character. Her name is Shanita Bath. Oh, okay. Shanita wasn't in the show. No, Shanita's not in the show. But I'm like, she... I want to see Shanita. <laughs> Where is Shanita? <laughs> Shanita um, uh, debuted in 1997. Okay. And um, she had backup singers Unita and Weenita. Unita and Weenita. Bath. Bath. Yeah. <laughs> Bath. The Bath sisters. <laughs> Um, and she comes out from time to time. Mm. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to talk to Shanita. <laughs> I'm like, what, tell me, who's Shanita? Where, where are you from, Shanita? <laughs> what does Shanita sound like? Because, you know, you can do amazing voices and different characters. So I'm like, who's Shanita? Because Shanita's not in the show. No, not Shanita, in this show. No, Shanita's not in the show. Um, but, well, Shanita, Shanita's just an, an alter ego. Mm-hmm. You know, she, yeah. Shanita, where are you from? <laughs> you see, I'm trying to get it to come out like, Shanita, where are you from? You sing, Shanita? And he sings, too. Very nice. Very well. Shanita does sing. Uh, one of her favorite songs to sing is um, I Am Changing mm-hmm. from uh, Dreamgirls. And, you know, so it's a you know, play on work. I Am Changing, I'm in drag, whatever. And mm-hmm. it usually ends with her taking off her wig to expose the bald hair. So, yeah, so she's sort of genderqueer in that way, too. Okay, you know? okay, I guess. Yeah, she's, she's not a glamour drag queen. She's, yeah, she's many things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's many things. <laughs> I love it, I love it. Now, at any piece or during this particular piece, or even in your own personal life, when do you feel vulnerable the most? The first moment I step out on stage. <laughs> He's like, you the know, first moment for every show, do you yeah, feel that? Yeah, that first, that first first moment when you step out on stage and many times I try to cheat and look out into the audience just to see them so there's not a shock um I don't know why it's just really nerve-wracking to me you know that first moment and as a performer I sort of have to settle into the performance Mm. it's not about nerves so much as it's about becoming less self-conscious and really dropping in um, to the performance. And if I can't see the audience just like just momentarily before I come mm-hmm. out on stage, it's just, I'm just a, a mess. Got it. Got it. That's interesting. Um, but within the show, 
Um, I think I'm the most vulnerable when I'm telling my stories mm. because that's really, you know, some of them are, you know, as you heard, some of them are really very personal mm. and, um, some of them, I mean, I've worked through a lot of that stuff now, but, um, when in performance, sometimes it, you know, dredges up some, some stuff. Yeah. And actually I did see, it wasn't, I think it was doing someone else's piece or you were mm -hmm. talking about someone else's story getting mm -hmm. really emotional. Yeah. That was probably Steven. Um, one of the men whose story I performed, I won't give it away. Yeah. Don't do yeah. yeah. Don't do yeah. But yeah, the, um, his story is, uh, particularly, um, moving, I think because of all the things he goes through and also, uh, during the original interview, he's very emotional mm. when he's telling that story. So, and you know, that moment in the show, I think like last night, you could have heard a pin drop during that piece, uh, because it's a very emotionally intense, um, piece of doing it. It's, it's a piece that's really for me, emotionally draining, mm -hmm. uh, because sometimes I feel that he takes over. Mm. And I just sort of lose myself uh, in that. And that story bleeds into my own story. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Without telling too much. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. We don't want to spill too much of the information yeah. about it. But now I know going back to your partner, how did, well, you know, you told your mom, mm -hmm. this is it. We want to get married. Mm -hmm. This is the guy mm -hmm. I want to spend the rest of my life mm -hmm. with. How did his family take it and your family take it when you said that? Well, you know, my mother was there, mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, it, it took, it took a while. My family didn't come mm. and that didn't necessarily, at least at, at that time, I was like, okay. Um, his, his mother and, and many of his family came and they've always been supportive and, um, now our families really commingle and, and, and do holidays and things together. Mm. And then they, and they come to visit us in Chicago. But again, it, you know, it, it took some time, you know, um, I would say it was more so my family, uh, having to process things than his. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, you know, over time, all of that sort of melted away because, you know, I think they made the decision that, no matter what their feelings about my sexuality, they loved me. Got it. And so that trumped everything. Uh, it's a, one funny story I'll tell about that is, so they didn't come to um, our ceremony, but when I turned 40, my, my partner, Stephen, was planning uh, a surprise birthday party for me. Mm -hmm. And he asked me for the list of 40 names of people that I wanted to invite. And my family was not on that list. Except for my mother. Your mom. And so, uh, as I said, you know, he's, um, uh, he owns his own video production company. And so, he, unbeknownst to me, he flew to my hometown twice to interview people about me who grew up with me and so on wow. and so forth, including some of my family. And so, they were asking, well, what is this for? And he said, well, I'm planning this video for his 40th birthday party. I'm like, well, we didn't know anything about it. And he said, well, because your name wasn't on the list. And so, they said... Well, we're coming. Oh, wow. And they did. Wow. And that was the turning point. And now you, they're active in 
you communicate and talk to them. Now they're accepting. Wow. So it just took yeah. that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what do you think that moment was, though? Because it wasn't. I think, like, do you think it was because you didn't reach out earlier or when? Yeah, I think it finally clicked for them that, oh, he ain't paying us no mind. <laughs> He's mm. going on about his business. So whatever, you know, if we don't want to lose him totally, then we better, you know, get our stuff together. Because I, I tell young people all the time who are, you know, going through that a struggle around their sexuality and their families and, and that kind of thing that you have to love yourself more than your fear of losing your family. That's a mm. hard thing mm. to do. It's a very hard thing to do. But once I did that, once I made the decision that I'm not going to get caught up in my family stuff about mm -hmm. my sexuality and just live my life, I knew they'd figure it out. Or they would make a conscious decision to be in my life or not. And I think that my not inviting them to my 40th was their wake-up call. I was like, oh, okay, he ain't paying us no mind. He going on about his business. So we better, you know, pull this together. And they did. And once they did, it was fine. And now, you know, they, don't, they can't remember all the stuff that came before. Wow, that's beautiful. I like that. And what other words of encouragement do you think you would or you would say to someone who is struggling with their sexuality or expressing themselves to their family? That you're not alone, that, you know, you're not the first person to ever have to do this. And, you know, many times family members know, as you know, as you were saying, they're just waiting on you mm -hmm. to tell them. Um, but again, I just come back to the fact that once they have the knowledge it's up to them to do the work. But the other thing I'll say is those of us who've gone through this also had to realize that eat, the same way that we went through a process of coming out to ourselves, we have to give that to our families. Mm -hmm. It's a process. you know. It, many of them has, have to go through what, what, what that means for them. And so sometimes that doesn't happen overnight. It didn't happen overnight for us. You know, it took me years to come to terms with my sexuality. So at the same time, we have to live our lives. We also have to give them that space to do that processing in the same way that we took the time to process our sexuality. Mm -hmm. I agree. Now, as a child, let's go back to mm -hmm. you as a baby or as a youngster. When did you, what did you want to be when you grew up? It changed over mm -hmm. time. I've always been a ham, mm -hmm. uh, a little performer. My mother says I came out of the womb dancing. Mm -hmm. um, and she used to uh, put me in these talent shows. But interestingly enough, I was very shy. I, I would dance and sing and all this kind of stuff um, when it was just me. Mm -hmm. But you put me in front of a stage, on a, on a stage in front of an audience, I would just, you know freeze up. I remember one time, I think I was about four or five, and um, one of my other little childhood friends, um, Geraldine, Geraldine Reed was her name. We were, we were supposed to do this little, you know, act on stage, and I got so much uh, stage fright, and I just you know, ran off stage. Um, and this is in front of an audience, so people are watching, and you just said, nope. 
yes. Um, but I guess the turning point was the church. Mm. When I joined the choir and started singing in the choir, that gave me this outlet that was mm. um, supportive, that was uh, encouraging. Um, and it, I just felt so free and supported in the church, you know, mm. a little boy soprano over there singing with all those girls and out singing them. Yeah. Um, that was a turning point for me to get over the stage fright because somehow the, the church audience was different from a regular audience. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I got over that. But, you know, I, I've always wanted to be some kind of performer. I didn't realize I would also be an academic, um, but I just loved school. I started, you know, I, I, I went to college and first majored in drama, but then switched um, to performance studies. And uh, I just kept taking classes and kept going to school, got my BA, then I went on and got my MA, then I wanted to get my PhD. I just really enjoyed school. And I feel really fortunate to be in a field where I'm doing what I love. Mm. You know, I'm not one of those people... I'm not a starving artist, you know, because I know a lot of people who, you know, want to be artists, but they have to sacrifice, you know, you know, uh, a living wage to do mm -hmm. that. And I'm, I feel really fortunate that I've been able to use um, the scholarly part of my work um, to support myself, but also uh, do this artistic work. So I'm doing exactly what I want to do. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I know that that's a fortunate position because not is. everyone can do that. So true. Now, I know you mentioned you were singing in the church. <laughs> so the church community is a completely different community that's maybe some are more accepting than others. Yeah. What were your struggles and, you know, your lifestyle and being in the church? I didn't have any struggles in church. None. None. None whatsoever. I was a, a, a church sissy, like some other ones of us, you know, singing in the choir. And, and you know, I, I do think that my experience is unique in this way because my... I grew up in Southern Baptist Church, Black Southern Baptist Church, mm -hmm. and my pastor was not homophobic, or I should say, he never preached a homophobic sermon. Mm. Um, now that might have something to do with his eldest being gay, but you know that's another story. Yeah. Um, but so uh, we didn't. There wasn't a lot of talk about faggot this or sissy that or whatever in church. You were just children being children and the elders supported you in whatever you did. I, I, the church, my church in particular, laid the foundation for everything that I am today. Um, I remember uh, receiving uh, what I used to call money handshakes when I'd come home from college. The little old ladies would shake your hand and they'd fold up a $20 bill in your hand. Oh, okay. I need to go to that church. <laughs> I'm like, what church is this? Yeah. <laughs> um, and... We the the church had a college fund mm -hmm. um, for those um, uh, church members who were going to school, so it was just a very supportive environment. So there was no drama around my sexuality, but I would say that once I um, got older, and you know, and you know, once I left my hometown, I I didn't move back to Hickory. And so I haven't been a member of my church as an adult, my home church as an adult. So I think I would have a different experience um, 
in that sense. But growing up, I th- there was no drama. Mm. There was not. Yeah, no, I know someone was asking. I know you mentioned it too, but let's, I mean, reshape it a little bit. Uh, you didn't have these struggles in the church, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of people that are alone. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of people that are just like you, Mm -hmm. kids, teenagers, Mm -hmm. and the reality of it, and they are by themselves, and they don't have these resources, or people that are as accepting, Mm -hmm. or as loving, Mm -hmm. or people to reach out to. Mm -hmm. So what what would you suggest or recommend, maybe there's somewhere that they could, as a support, what would you recommend for those kids or those, you know, male and female in that situation? Well, you know, the, the one... Going back to the original question about um, why did you do this book and why did the play, mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I did Sweet Tea is because I too felt alone. Like, and then when I heard these stories, I'm like, well, this has been going on forever. Mm-hmm. That there are these communities. So even though we feel alone, there's always somebody, mm-hmm. always. And so one of the things I I um, think people need to do is. Just, just look. One of the one of the people in the show says, if you if you go to any denomination and you look and you look around, you look close, you'd be like, oh my. <laughs> oh, I noticed it. <laughs> yeah. And so it's it's seeking those people who are kindred spirits, um, but also on a more practical level, um, finding resource centers. Most of those are in you know metropolitan areas, mm-hmm. granted, but. Um, there are um, places in smaller communities that do have organizations um, that that have um, support networks. Um, you'd be surprised, and I was surprised by this, the number of support networks in really small towns mm. um, that people have. And also read, just read as much as you can. You, you know, your public library, um, go get a copy of Sweet Tea. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. Or, or borrow a copy, or, or um, you know, you can read it online. Even. iBook, yeah. Uh, iBook is even on, um, I've done an audio book. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. uh, so Audible, 26 hours of me reading the whole book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good in L.A. too, because L.A. traffic. Oh, yes. You need something yes, to listen yes, to yes, during so L.A. It'll traffic. Carry you through. Or especially major cities too. Yes, but reading as much as possible. Um, and, you know, now today that we have social media, um, that's an, there are all kinds of forums uh, online uh, of networks of people that, that can provide support for people who are struggling. Mm-hmm. And one thing I personally would say is that you, along with so many others that are you know very similar in the gay community, are strong. And when I mean strong, because you have to be a certain type of person to have that personality and that lifestyle and continue to live that way and knowing that so many people you know, would isolate you mm-hmm. or feel some sort mm-hmm. of way. Mm-hmm. And I was watching, you know, the Bruce Jenner, you know, mm-hmm. documentary, and I got emotional mm-hmm. because I said, this is a strong man. Mm-hmm. And for those that are listening that are similar, that are gay, that are trying to struggle with their sexuality, you are strong. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I want you to know that coming from me, you know, and I, w- I think that you would agree as mm-hmm. well, that you are strong. Yeah. And yeah. you were born that do you do you okay, going back to the, or another question for you, do you think that you were born this way? Or do you think that it was as through life you you know, it just came to you? You know, I I stopped thinking about that question because mm-hmm. for me it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I stand in the truth that I stand in now. I do know that I felt 
um, different uh, at a very early age. Whether that was something hardwired, I don't know. But what I don't want to do is get caught up in uh, born that way or whether I chose it. And I tell you, oh, I'm sorry. You're good. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll tell you why. I think that, that some people um, can accept you if they believe you were born that way. But they can't if you say you chose to be gay. Mm. And my thing is, why not accept people for who they are no matter what? Whether they chose to be gay or not be gay or what, whatever. It's you, it's you, it's your body, and you have the right to be you, whatever that is. And so I, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about whether I was born gay or not. I love being gay. Uh, it's an identity that I stand in firmly and truthfully. Um, but I also know that there are people, and this is the women's story too. Many of the women that I interviewed for Honeypot say that they, don't, they weren't born gay, that some of them specifically chose to be with women. Now for those stories, do you think it's because of something that happened to them? I think that's what people, that's the narrative people want mm -hmm. to believe, that they, that they were raped or had some bad experience with Cause men. Because I have heard that, yeah. Um, but no, and they're very articulate about that not being the case. Many of them talk about having enjoyable, pleasurable sex with men, but there was no emotional connection to men. And it was that first time they had a sexual encounter with a woman that, you know, fireworks and light bulbs and all this stuff went off. <laughs> Everything just exploded yeah, in the room. Yeah, and it was like, oh, this is what I've been missing. So it was more about this missing um, emotional connection than a bad experience with a man. Because many of these women were married, had children for years, mm -hmm. but they just felt something was missing. Mm. Did you ever go through a phase or a point in your life where you said, I wish I could change and not be gay? I didn't go through that. Um, I never, yeah, I never went through the pray to gay away. Yeah, you said, okay, um, I'm going to just get it out. Yeah, I, I never went through that. I, my struggle was more about how do I accept myself and be okay with it. And it was, in hindsight, of course you don't know this when you're going through it, it was more about what other people thought mm -hmm. than what I was feeling myself. Um, but I never, I never went through the thing about, you know, I'm going to pray it away or, you know, take it away. Mm -hmm. No. Okay. Now, we, I know you're working on the woman show too. You're writing that book as well. Mm -hmm. Are there any projects that you would like to do after that one? Or I, do you want to see, you know, what do you want to do in the future? I got so many things I want to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I really want to write a, a book on um, the black church and sexuality uh, and performance. Uh, talk about um, how gender and sexuality is performed in the church, in the choir, in the pulpit. Mm. Um, that's one of the projects I would like to work on, but really now my focus is on finishing Honeypot, the book, mm -hmm. working on Honeypot, the play. Um, Sweet Tea is also uh, gonna, uh, gonna become a film. So we've been filming, uh, there's a filmmaker, John Jackson, mm -hmm. um, <coughs> a 
who's a documentary filmmaker who has been working on the film for the last two years now and will be filming um, this summer. And you know, part of that process is we've been going back to some of the men's homes mm -hmm. that I interviewed and me performing the stories in their homes. Wow. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's been a fascinating um, process. So I got a lot on my plate. Yeah. I'm busy. That sounds and then I, and I got a day job too. Oh yeah, <laughs> and you teach too. Yeah, 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 I'm a professor, so I got a lot going on. Have your students seen a lot of your students seen your one? Oh yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you part? Of, do you make it part of the curriculum? Do they no, get points? No, no. They get credit for showing up? <laughs> no, no. But uh, my students are are also you know wonderful. I have you know students now who are tenured professors and have their own books, and that makes me very proud. Mm. So that's like another passion too. Yes, I love teaching. Mm. Love it. And what has been the feedback from your students when they see your show? Oh, uh, you know, they're really inspired by it, and um, some of their projects um, are uh, similar in terms of doing oral history work. And um, so, yeah, both undergrad and graduate students are. Really, um, I love I love my students. They're very smart mm -hmm. and um, very humble as well. Um, so yeah, they they really are supportive of me and the show, but also inspired by it. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. So we're gonna go ahead and wrap this okay. up. If you could let us know again where the show is gonna be and where to stay up to date with future projects that you're working on. So when people are interested, or even for these teenagers or young people that are struggling, you know, where they could reach out maybe to you to see the show and everything. Yeah, absolutely. So then go to my website, epatrickjohnson.com. Uh, my calendar is always updated about where I'm going to be performing and speaking. Sweet Tea, Black Gay Men of the South, you can get on Amazon.com. You can get it as an audio, audio book on audibles.com. Uh, and uh, the play runs uh, through Sunday at uh, the Stella Adler Theater at, on Hollywood Boulevard, 6773. And uh, Town Street Theater is the resident company there who is uh, co-producing uh, along with Project And and Jane M. Sachs. And my next performance after uh, L.A. will be at Northwestern University. We're doing a two-week run, opening on May 29th and running through June 7th. Beautiful. Love it. So thank you for tuning in. You guys can find me, obviously, on Twitter and Periscope, Bacon Eatin' Megan. I have a fan page on Facebook. Uh, I am Megan Weaver. And Instagram, Megan A. Weaver. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. And thank you for coming to be my guest today. Thank you. Thank you for everyone watching. I hope you learned. I hope you were inspired. And write your own. Write your own show. Absolutely. Your own one-woman show. Your own one-man show. Do it. Be creative and be strong and empowered. Thank you guys for tuning in. Water or wine time with Megan Weaver. Love, life, and entertainment. Bye.